Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Please open with me now to Romans chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 10. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for their riches, for the riches of His kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and to reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Beautiful day, beautiful morning, beautiful world to be alive in. We're really glad that you come down in the school holidays on this it was a cold night, but it's a beautiful day. Really glad that you're here um, to share in what God has for us today. Um, as Rowan said, my name's Lachlan. I'm one of the deacons here. I'm going to bring the word um, today as we continue our series on Romans. So we're three weeks in now. and the last two weeks, we've been journeying through chapter one. What we're doing is we're taking a deep dive into a series and we're titling it The Big Stuff. So Romans, let's just have a recap. It's a letter from Paul to the church in Rome. Uh, and what I love about this book, it's not just a letter saying hello. It's, it's a lucid, it's a crisp, it's a great summation of the gospel message. And Paul, he's talking to a group of people who, as we sit here now, these guys, they go way back in history, about two and a half, 2,600 years ago is when this letter was addressed to these people, but we know that the scripture is alive and well today. We read in Hebrews, in the old King James, I love that version, for the word of God is living and powerful. And the message interprets this as God means what he says and what he says goes. So my prayer for today and my belief is that God will speak through this passage to us and in this message that is for his most ancient people, but for his youngest children, will impact your hearts today. May he encourage you and reveal himself to you through today. So why don't I just pray for us now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this holy manuscript, the Bible, these words on a page that you can use to speak to us directly. Lord, we do pray that you speak to us with these words. We are open to your word that will guide us. So surrender myself to your message, Lord, and I pray that you will open our ears and our hearts to receive the truth you have for us today. Amen. 
Let's do a quick rewind. So we're looking at chapter 2, 1 to 10 today, but let's go uh, quickly back through Romans chapter 1. Paul, he sent his greetings. Um, he, he called himself a servant, and he reminds us that we're all set apart for the gospel. And he's not ashamed of this power, this, this dynamite power that Luke described. And he's longing to go and visit Rome. He's really excited about what's happening in Rome and be a part of what's happening at the church there. But to start this letter, he's essentially laying out uh, what this gospel is. Paul talks about our sin uh, and God's righteousness, his imputed righteousness that's given to us by our faith in Jesus, not by our own strength. We hear about the the wrath or the wrath of God, depending on where you come from. Um, For those who know God, but worship and serve created things, not our creator, God's wrath It's revealed through, he turns people over to their sin. It's hard to swallow. But this letter, it's addressed to the the Romans. It's called Romans, it's addressed to the Romans. But who specifically? They're the Christians in Rome and they're a mixed church. They're formed mostly of Gentiles. And Gentiles are sinners that have converted to the faith. And there are Jews as well. So there's Jews and Gentiles in this church. And the Jews, they're from the old school. And there were civil wars in Rome back in the day. And for a time, the emperor there, he kicked the Jews out. But at the time of writing, they're back. uh, And they've found the church to be a little bit different, very non-Jewish to to when they left. So at the end of chapter 1, Paul, he's listed a whole bunch of bad behaviours, of nasty things, attitudes exhibited by the Gentiles. And he's obviously upset about that. But he talks about God's wrath. We'll go with wrath today his righteous anger against this rebellion. And the Jews, they're listening to this probably, it's probably read in public, they're listening and going, I feel pretty good about myself because they follow the laws of the Torah. So they were originally God's chosen people and they look down on on the other nations. These Gentiles, they're the the latecomers, they don't respect the law, so they, they must be a peg down from us or them. So that's the background. So with all that in mind, let's catch up on what's been going on in my world. I've just, uh, this year, I've just taken up running. It's my new hobby. And when I get a new hobby, I don't know about you, but I just go all in. I get obsessed with it. And it's just, it's my new thing. It was the same when I was a kid. I got into golf. Um, Back in the day, I was obsessed with photography. So I spent all the money on the camera gear. So at the moment, it's running. I think my wife Katie's already sick of me always going on talking about shoes and about different times and different nutrition and seeing, waving me off you know, for two or three hours at a time out on the streets running around. But what inspired me was my brother. Uh, we call him Bam. I've spoken about him before. He's a really good friend of mine. He's my best friend and my brother. And he lives with his wife in Adelaide. And he was over last year to visit our newborn and he'd just run a couple of races, including a half marathon, which is 21.2 kilometres. And he was looking really trim, he was looking fit, he was looking energetic, and all those good things, and healthy. And I was like, well, okay. And my wife, Katie, she was like, bam, you look good. I'm like, hang on a second. <laughs> what about stressed out fat dad? Come on. <laughs> so I decided then and then that I was going to be fit dad. And I aimed to run a marathon race uh, before Mitchell, my son, turned one. So I had about 11 months to train. 
and I had never really run more than seven kilometres at a time in one sitting. Hated running, get exhausted, it's just, who can, who can be bothered? So I had to break it up into two major training blocks. So the first was to be able to run a half distance marathon, so that 21 kilometres, after about five months, and then go down to the full marathon a few months later. And there's one in Melbourne coming up in October, so that'll be one week before Mitchell's first birthday. So my brother Bam and my best friend Riley, also from Adelaide, another good friend Jono, they're all hardcore runners. And all of a sudden, I've popped up and the dialogue between us has changed and now I've joined in and I'm talking with them nearly every day about running and gear and training and all sorts of things. And these three mates of mine, they're fast, fit guys. They've been running for a long time. As I said, my brother's done a few races. Um, my friend Riley, he's been training towards the marathon for years and years. And, and my other mate, Jono, he runs 100 kilometres a week and he's, he's an athlete. So there I was, I picked it up five months ago, uh, trying my best, I was training wrong, I was running slow, I was asking all the wrong questions, all the dumb questions. I was the new kid on the block, I was late to the party, no running heritage or pedigree. So my running buddies, they're my running buddies now because I'm a runner, <laughs> they'd be in their right minds to go, who is this clown, like this Kino, he knows nothing about running. He's just jumped on the bandwagon. How are we going to shake this flog? <laughs> but is that what the Jews are thinking? When they come back to Rome, and just as Paul reports, there's all this questionable behaviour going on. You know, one commentator, he describes the Jews as a very proud sort of people that looked with a great deal of scorn and contempt at these poor Gentiles as not worthy to be set with the dogs of their flock. While in the meantime, they were themselves just as bad and immoral. They weren't idolaters or sinners like the Gentiles, yet they were sacrilegious. So Paul can see this. He can see the Jews looking down on the Gentiles. They're watching the Gentiles all day, probably working on the Sabbath, doubt they are circumcised. And, you know, they come home after a long working day on the Sabbath, eat ribs and pork belly and it's just, it's not kosher, is it? <laughs> so with the context of all the nasty stuff that Paul mentioned at the end of chapter 1, in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul wants to make something very clear. It's sort of his way of saying, hold your horses. If you're going to be judging someone else, you yourself are guilty of whatever you're detesting. So I want to do a simple test it's interactive. I want to make sure that I'm talking to a room of normal, healthy, well-functioning human beings, not robots or zombies. That's not good either. By a show of hands, I want you to be brave. I'm going to put my hand up too. Don't worry, I follow here. We're just a room. Sinners Anonymous. We're just all the same. <laughs> Easy question. Put your hand up if you've ever met someone that really annoys you. <laughs> if there's no hands up, I'm talking to cyborgs. All right, good. Put your hands down. Thank you. I was thinking about this through the week. And yeah, there have been people in the past that have rubbed me the wrong way. I was praying to God. I thought it was a good opportunity for him to help me to be gracious um, and see them as children and as his children and, and love them as he would love them. And it got me to thinking some of the things that really ground my gears, that really got me annoyed are the habits, personality traits or little quirks they were exhibited pretty strongly by me. 
the things that annoyed me the most were the things that I think that I need to work on. And Jesus says it best in Matthew 7. He's preaching from the mount. He says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be used to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. You first take the plank out of your, out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And it sort of reminds me of the phrase, it takes one to know one, right? Now in our text, Paul's saying, don't be silly, you human, you sinner. If you're laughing at someone with a bit of spinach in, your, in their teeth, you've probably got a beanstalk flapping out your gums. <laughs> That's a nice picture. But it's not even about that. It's, we're, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. And our participation in sin means we can't participate in judgment. Our participation in this sin means we can't participate in judgment. Because Paul writes, God's judgment is based on truth, yeah? Back when hitchhiking was a thing, if you're under the age of me, you probably don't even know what a hitchhiker is. Someone that just stands on the road with their thumb out like this, hoping for a free ride for anyone going along. This is before taxis, mobile phones, Uber. There was a guy called Keith. He was driving home very late one night and he picked up one of these hitchhikers. As they rode along, he was looking in his mirror and this guy seemed a bit dodgy, so he started to become a little bit suspicious of him. And Keith, he checked to see if his wallet was safe in the pocket of his coat that was on the seat between them. And it wasn't there. His wallet wasn't there. So he slammed on the brakes, he's turned around, he screamed at the hitchhiker, hand over my wallet immediately. Hitchhiker was pretty startled by Keith's reaction. I don't know why, he's got his wallet. But he, he reached in his pocket, hand over a few bills and just left the car and Keith drove off, gathered his thoughts. So he's, Keith arrives home and he immediately says to his wife, Wanda, we'll call her Wanda, <laughs> you're never going to believe what happened to me on the way home. You see there was this hitchhiker and, and she interrupts him. She says, oh Keithy poo, I was so worried about you. You were taking so long tonight and I'm glad you're home safe especially because you left your wallet home this morning. <laughs> boom, boom. So how many times are we like Keith? Blinded by our own preconceived bias, we forget our own shortcomings and we're quick to blame others. I do this out of ignorance sometimes. A lot of the time, maybe even just divert away my own shortcomings to point the finger. And I know I struggle with this in my marriage I have to remind myself that it's not about winning or blame. It's about being, it's about love and grace and kindness, not about being right, because love is what wins. And God, in his righteousness, as a judge, he has 20-20 vision. His judgment is based on truth, and he knows better than we know ourselves. God has been very kind to us, very patient. He's waiting for us to change, but during the while, he sees all. This comes out in our text, and I want to read um, the message version, verses 2 to 4. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. You didn't think, did you, just by pointing the finger at others, you'd be 
be able to distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you so hard? Or did you think that just because he's a nice God, he let you off the hook? You better think this one through from the beginning because God is kind, but he's not soft. We can't fool God into distracting him by throwing a flare or pointing out someone else's shortcomings and think that it'll look the other way. I love that phrase, God is kind, but he's not soft. Let's have a look at verse 5 in our text. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So Paul's sending a strong warning to us that by being stubborn, we're digging a deep hole that will eventually become our grave. Because in verse 6 he says God will repay each person according to what they have done, which is really scary if you think about it. And on the flip side in verse 7 he says, if we persist in doing good and seek glory and honour and immortality, then we will receive eternal life. So we get out what we put in. 2 Corinthians 9.6 Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Or Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And the language gets even stronger in Proverbs. King Solomon says, if you plant injustice, you will harvest disaster. I don't know about you, but I read verses like that and I think I, I give up. Because I know the seeds I'm planting in the little garden of horrors. But if we take a step back to verse 4, and I believe this is the key, God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. He wants to help us. And remember, his judgment is based on truth. And in John, didn't Jesus say to the Jews, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what exactly is repentance? The word repentance comes from the Greek metanoia which in English it translates to change one's mind. But even more, it implies the decision to turn around, to make a decision to head in a completely different direction. And even though we can do the right things, we can try to live a good life, or by, by our very nature, we are just not that good. In Romans 3, Paul says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Acts 3.19 says, repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So the key word in that verse 4 is lead us into repentance. A guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon, you may have heard he, of, he um, preached a sermon 125 years ago, made a great point that it, it, we're led, we're not driven or pushed to this repentance. He says, Cain was driven away as a fugitive and a vagabond, when he'd killed his righteous brother Abel, Judas went and hanged himself, being driven by an anguish of remorse because of what he'd done in betraying his Lord. But the sweetest and best repentance is that which comes not by driving, but by drawing. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. God's goodness is manifest in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, for our salvation. And because of that, because of his goodness, we've been given opportunities to hear his word and to claim eternal life by accepting Jesus Christ as Saviour. He made it easy for us on the cross. 
It wasn't cheap though. (laughs) He took every finger, pointed at someone else, all the shame we carry with our sin. And at that moment, all the judgment, all the fingers were pointed at him. He who was without sin, unblemished, became all of the sin. And plus, he conquered the sin of death and he rose again. And he was the same perfect, blameless Jesus then. And because of this, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin anymore. So why should we see others? Our response is twofold. We repent. So we're going one way. I know Luke's given this picture before. We're going one, I should go one way, go back to the cross. We're going one way and then we turn and we're going the other way. And we see, we're facing the light now, his glory. We're not seeing our shadow anymore. That's his problem. That's Jesus' problem. We see him. And we're compelled because of this to be different. We're not trapped in the laws. We're free in Christ and our response should reflect this. Remember, our participation in sin meant we were no way qualified to participate in judgment. And How much better is it that our repentance from sin allows us to experience freedom from sin and death? So as we turn away and leave our shadow behind, we're focused on this, this radiance of, of the gift of love of life and others are as well turning and facing. And so we're all, we could imagine us, we're all in a circle experiencing this radiance. All our shadows are behind us and his love, his joy, his peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control is what we're focused on. Verse 10 in our text but glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favouritism. Five weeks ago, I was nearly dead, but I ran into the Adelaide Oval, across the finish line of the Adelaide Half Marathon, 21.1 kilometres, 16 seconds short of the time that I wanted, in a good way. So 159.44, I tried to crack two hours. It's not fast, but it's no snail's pace. It did nearly break me to crack that time. I was emotional, I wept at the finish, which I didn't expect, but I couldn't believe I'd done it. Do you know who was just as excited as me for that accomplishment? It was my brother, who was already waiting at the line. He ran 15 minutes faster than me. My mate Jono, who crossed the finish line after me, but he did 42 kilometres, he finished another marathon, and Riley too. But they were so happy for me, they were so encouraging, and they even called me the running story of the year. (laughs) My brother, he not only inspired me to have a crack, just by his example, he didn't say, hey, you should run, he just inspired me by example, but he didn't judge me for giving it a go. He's coached me through, he's bounced ideas off me and he helped me and it made me feel really good and it made me want to do better. Today I really want to encourage us to be encouragers. God doesn't show favouritism, so why should we? New Christians, old Christians, non-Christians, let's get around each other here at church or in our MCGs or in the various ministry teams or just in daily life. Send each other texts, pray for one, each other, one another and build each other up. If you're a fan of takeaways, I'm not talking about KFC, um, I'm talking about a practical takeaway for your week. 
Next time you brush your teeth, and I hope it's soon, <laughs> ask God, because I just stare at myself, ask God to place someone on your heart in this community who could use some encouragement. And every time you pick up that toothbrush this week, instead of checking yourself out in the mirror like I do, pray for that person. Or ask God to open doors for them and to open doors for you to be able to encourage them. I want to close with this final thought. Running, it's a funny sport. There's very few people who get to win Olympics or World Championships or Com Games or major marathons. Most of us, it's a race against the clock and a race against ourselves. It doesn't matter whether you finish first or last, you just want to finish as well as you can. You run your own race. Our Christian walk or run starts with us and God. And our relationship with him is the most important thing and he sees our heart. Guys, God loves you more than we can ever understand. Because as Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. So before you get the toothbrush out, we must repent. Turn away from our shadow and seek his face. His radiance will guide us and make him focus on your heart and your life. Mother Teresa presented this idea so eloquently in her poem anyway. It's as follows. People are often unreasonable, illogical and self-centred. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish or ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. When you spend years building, someone could destroy it overnight. Just build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, people may be jealous. But be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between them anyway. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.